This is Come and See by Father Ron Baird for January 16th, 2011. The Gospel is taken from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 29 through 42. In today's Gospel, we see the calling of St. Andrew, which is kind of an exciting thing since this is St. Andrew's. And it shows us what the real path, what the real program, what the real methodology is of doing evangelism. I don't know if you saw that in there. But to look at it, what happens is, is that Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan. And John has said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The next day when John sees him, he says the same thing. Now, Andrew and, and another disciple that we don't of, of John's that never is named by anyone. It may have been one of the 12. It may have been a different person who follows Jesus. It may have been uh, someone who doesn't follow Jesus. We don't know. They never really say. But what we do know is that there are those two are together, and they hear what John says when he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And so they decide to follow Jesus to see where he's going. Now, does anybody remember where Jesus went after he... Um, was baptized into the desert. Well, if you had two guys following you when you were going off to a place where nobody else was going to be, would that make you a little nervous? I mean, that'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Like, why are they following me? And you can see them sort of turning left on a road in Jericho and then going down certain and turning and making another right and then going all the way around the block and, and they just keep following them all around. And so finally... He says to them, he turns and says, what are you looking for? Now, is that what you would have asked? What would you have asked? Yeah, or what do you want? Or, I mean, why are you following me? Or, I mean, the, what are you looking for doesn't really seem like the question. What's even better is their response, because then they say, Rabbi? Where are you staying? That follows what are you looking for, doesn't it? For two people you don't know at all, where are you staying? And to really understand what they're asking, and it's one of the problems sometimes with translations is that some things don't translate as well as others. I mean, it's just difficult to capture all of it. It's not that it's not doesn't mean that. It does mean that. It's just that if we said... Here, if, if I said to somebody, so where are you staying? What would you think I wanted to know? Hmm? Yeah, you know, where you live, if you're from out of town, where are you staying, when you know, you're at a hotel, you're with relatives. We, we want location, don't we? Well, that's not really what the question's asking for. To, under, to understand that, you have to go back to what happened with John and why they're there to begin with. Why did they come out? Why did they follow him? What was it that intrigued them? He takes away the sin of the world. That's what they are looking for, by the way. Isn't it interesting how Jesus immediately moves beyond um, whatever may look like is happening to what is the heart of the matter? And their response is, where are you staying? That word staying... Is, is where the difficulty in translations comes because 
Staying can mean so many things in English. But we also see it earlier in the passage. And when there's this conversation about the Holy Spirit descended upon him and stayed. It says remained, but you could say stayed. Um, It's also used later in the Gospel of John when Jesus gives his I am the vine and you are the branches um, sermon. And he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Anyone who what? Remains or abides. It really has to do with where you are in your being. I mean, what you really are at the core of your being, who you really are. Um, And you can see that you can say stay, but we don't tend to talk about that kind of thing as staying, do we? It does mean that, but, but it means on what do you rest? Who are you really? deep down. And if you see it that in terms of that abiding kind of thing, it makes more sense then if, if you see that what they were saying, you know, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And if, if you were to say, who are you really? Then suddenly you understand what's going on here. And then Jesus tells them. He answers them. What does he say? Come and see. Great answer, isn't it? <laughs> well, come and see. That's our motto, by the way, here. And this is the, actually the passage where it comes from. Come and see. And it says that they did. They came with him and they saw. What do you think they saw? That he was staying at the courtyard Marriott? What were they looking for? Who is he? Yeah, I mean, what is this? Now, think about that. This all starts with John saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why would that have been significant? Well, if you look in the Old Testament, you know, the lambs have great significance. They're they're important. Can you all think of a couple of stories where lambs played an important role? Passover, what happened at Passover? They sacrificed a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the lintels of the doorways. Why? Just weird paint job or? So the angel of death wouldn't come. They were covered by the blood of the lamb. It was protection them from death. When's another time? Abraham and I, how's that story go? What happens with that? What's Abraham going to do? He's going to sacrifice his son. He's already, remember, he's got the knife. He's about ready to plunge it into his heart. He's already tied him up, put him up on the altar. And, and suddenly an angel Lord says, whoa! <laughs> and then what happens? Well, no, what happens? What's, where does the lamb come in? There's a lamb caught in the thicket. And, and if you go back in that story just a little bit, as they're going up to the top of the mountain, Mount Zion, Isaac, who obviously is going to take the place of Abraham because he's no dummy, says, Father, I see the fire, and I see the knife, and I see the wood, 
where's the lamb? <laughs> Good question. And what did Abraham tell him? God will provide the lamb. Abraham had faith even then. Didn't know what that was going to look like, but knew that that was going to happen. And so we have this imagery in Judaism that there is a lamb and that the sacrificing of the unblemished lamb will somehow or other atone for the sins of the, of, of the people and will allow them to, to move beyond all of that and to be covered in that blood at Passover. They always sacrificed the lamb at Passover would somehow make a difference. And, and very often we continue that tradition even in Christianity. How many of y'all have lamb for Easter? Well, you all did better in 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock had one person that had lamb for Easter. <laughs> lamb and mint jelly, that was sort of always the tradition. I figured out what lamb has to do with mint jelly unless it's to cover up the taste of the lamb. But, but that tradition comes out of that. We even use it in, in our communion. When, when the bread is broken... I say, Alleluia, Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. He is the Passover lamb, the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And so in that context, you can begin to understand why they're curious about how is this human being going to be the lamb. And if you go back to the fact that death will end, and if you go back to the fact that that God will provide the lamb, and that God had asked Abraham to do what? His son. Which son? His only son. And who did God sacrifice? His only son. It all comes into fruition. And, and, and they want to know, could this be? Is this possible? Is there really a way to abide, to dwell, to have the core of your being rest in a place that is not conflicted in the world. And then they come. It says it was about the 10th hour. That's the literal translation, which by the Romans, why, did everybody get the question? Why does it want to know why it's four o'clock in the afternoon? Tea time. Um, but... Actually, it, it has to do with the fact that it says it was about the 10th hour, which would be 4 o'clock in the afternoon according to the way the Romans, because they started the, their time at dawn and went to dusk. And so it was about the 10th hour. And the reason why that's significant is because after that, if you're going to go somewhere, it better not be very far. Because what's going to happen? It's going to get dark. And what happens when it gets dark? Can't see where you're going, and thieves and ruts when they come out. And so, what would they do? And so they had followed him, and it was four o'clock. And what's interesting, though, is that they didn't just see, did they? They stayed. And then a fascinating thing happens. Andrew gets up in the morning and does something right off the bat. Y'all remember that? We found the Messiah. Look. Now you gotta see this. This is awesome. You gotta check this out. Now you can almost imagine Simon going, Oh great, here's a little brother again off on one of his tangents, and I'll never get him back on that fishing boat if I don't 
All right, yeah, we'll go figure out. I was wondering where you were, you know, and so he goes wandering off to, to see. And then he does what? He stays. He abides. He becomes part of this, this um, who Jesus is and where it is that he truly dwells. And, and we have to ask ourselves the same question. Do we dwell in the kingdom of the world with all of its problems and, and things you have to figure out what to do? Or do we dwell in the kingdom of God? And it's not about location. It's about heart. Now, that is the roadmap to how to be an evangelist, believe it or not. It's not a, did, did Jesus go to them and say, you're going to hell if you don't believe in me? you think they would have followed. <laughs> would you have followed? Probably not. Did he do, what did he do? He didn't even start that way. Somebody else said, look. And it happened again with Andrew, doesn't it? Come and look. You got to see this. So the first thing that has to happen is somebody has to point and say there's something there. And then what did the disciples do? Rather, what did Jesus do, I mean, when he did see them? What's the verb? He, well, what's the verb? He asked, didn't he? He asked. So the second thing, besides pointing, is asking. And then the third thing was this invitation. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see what? Hmm? Mm -hmm. Who he really is. What, and it wasn't about an external where he abides. It was about an internal where he abides. And then their response was to stay, to want to abide there too. That's the path of evangelism. First of all, it comes about in normal conversations, not by going out and knocking on somebody's door and asking them if they died tonight, do they know if they go to heaven or not? Um, if that works, that's great, but I've just found it isn't a great conversation opener for most people. Um, if you know somebody to work on, use it. I don't care. But rather, it had to do with everyday conversation. John was with his disciples. He was doing what he did. It was what always went on. And all that happened was he said, look, here's how I see this. And that's what we're called to do, is to point. In everyday conversation, to point, to say, gee, I see this kind of like this. And then what you do is you ask. Not what do you think you're supposed to ask, by the way? I won't tell you first. What did the church tell you you're supposed to ask? You accept the Lord as your Savior, yeah. Um, boy, we want to close that deal, don't we? <laughs> That's not what he asked, though, is it? He asked about them. You want to know about them. And that's the second step, is ask about them. 
How do you see it? What do you think? What are you looking for? What do you want out of life? And then you invite. Well, come and see. I'll show you. Let me show you this place where I live, this place where I abide, this place where I get uh, this peace, this place where I am able to gather the strength to deal with the problems that that I have to deal with. Come and see. And you share with them. Not what God can do for them, because you honestly don't know what God's going to do for them, do you? You share with them what God has done for you. And the most amazing thing happens. What did Andrew want after he heard what in Saul? Even before that, though, that's the next step. He didn't want to go anywhere, did he? He wanted it too. It's not a hard sell. I mean, it's not something where you've got to, you know, make sure that they do it. It's an offer of good news. Do you want to live your life free from sin and brokenness? Do you want to live your life free from the fear of death? Do you want to live your life knowing that even in the darkest moments, there's someone who's going to help walk you through it? Do you want to live your life knowing that there's always someone walking through the valley of the shadow of death with you that you can always talk to and who will always help? That's the good news. Do you want to know there's somebody there for you? in the good times and the bad. There aren't many people that say, nah, forget that. Who needs it? I enjoy suffering. It's fun. I want to suffer a little more, please. I'll figure it out myself and mess it up, and then, then I'll blame somebody else, and it'll all be great. You know, and then I'll go back and blame my coworkers or I'll blame my boss. And I mean, we'll go back and we'll do it all over again, and I'll do it over and over and over and over again. I'll blame my spouse. I'll blame, you know, whoever. And life becomes miserable. And it's the weirdest thing. People get divorced. Because not much here to look at, is it? Children become alienated from parents because not much to see. And sadly, people become alienated from church because all too often there isn't much to see. And it's heartbreaking. Because the truth is, as left to our own devices, we have nothing to offer the world except for more sin and brokenness. It is only when we can invite people to come and see the living Lord who lives within us, who helps us, that suddenly a difficult situation turns into good news. You mean you really can face this? I had a friend... um, when I lived in Louisville, when I was a layperson, who was married to an alcoholic. And, and this guy drank all the time. Fortunately, he was a happy drunk. So, I mean, he didn't beat her or anything. But, you know, basically all he ever wanted to do is go hang out at the bar with his buddies and stuff and would never do anything with her at all. And I asked her one time, I said, how do you do that? And, and you're always so cheerful. How do you do that? And she said, it's not my problem. It's his problem. And I said, but yeah, but he comes home and you've got to live with him. She said, she said, yeah. And I said, well, how do you do that? She said, I just love him. And I said, really? You can just love him even though he's that way? She said, it's pretty easy once you quit trying to make him be different. 
Because you get to choose. Do you want to love him the way he is or do you want to love him some other way? And I choose to love him the way he is. I said, but, it, but he never does anything with you. He's gone all the time. She said, why do you think my ministry is to hug everybody? And she did. She, if, you, if you met her, she would hug you. That was her ministry. She hugged everybody. And she just spread this joy. And when I said, but, but how did you come to this place? And she said, I came to a place where I realized that I was powerless over his drinking. And I had to give it to God. And once I gave it to God and really gave it to God and quit taking it back, I got a lot happier. Isn't that amazing? Now, I don't want to kill him personally, but <laughs> I mean, that, that was my impression. I was like, well, you're a saint. You know, God bless you. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, I want to be like that. I want to find that peace that passes understanding. I want to find the ability to face life storms and not have to be angry or upset all the time. But how do I do that? The only way I know to do it is to find where Jesus lives, where he abides. And honestly, that's pretty much what the world needs. You know, there aren't, Everybody's got an opinion and a solution. But it's not about going out and telling people what the correct doctrines are or what correct dogmas are, what the correct morals are, or any of those things. It's really about saying, look. And then finding out about them, asking them about themselves. What do you want out of life? What do you think? And then showing them, inviting them into your life to see. And if you can show them not, not yourself, but the living Lord, not your ideas or your intelligence, but the living Lord who lives in you, if you can show them how he has helped your brokenness, how many people would go, don't want that. I like it this way. Not many. And I can give you an example. If, if I were to tell you right now where they're giving out $100,000, there's a bank I know that, that all you got to do is go in there and say, all right, did you got this deal. We're giving out $100,000. How many of you all would say, I'm not going there. I don't want their $100,000. Anybody going to turn it down? No, we'd say, hey, if they're giving away $100,000, that's a good deal, right? I'm going to go get it. Well, what would be worth more to you? Peace, purpose, eternal life and love and forgiveness, or $100,000? Think about it. Maybe. It doesn't seem to work for a lot of people. <laughs> there are some. <laughs> Would you pay $100,000 to never die? And to live your life happily? Would it be worth it? You're all still thinking, I can tell. <laughs> And the problem is, is that inevitably the temptation of the world was if I had, then I would be. There was a man in West Virginia who won the lottery. And he won the lottery like twice. I mean, he, and he was already a wealthy man. He owned his own construction company. And he won like $50 million or something after taxes and everything were taken out. Um, the last I heard of him was that he was outside of a strip joint with 
$50,000 or something in a briefcase and was mugged. And his wife had left him. His daughter had become addicted to drugs. And he, his whole life had just fallen apart. But he had money. Now, it didn't help a whole lot, did it? Because he didn't have any place to abide, to remain. He didn't have that deep-seated place that no matter what it is that you are dealing with, no matter what your location is, you can abide there. That's good news. That's what people need. Not solutions to every problem, because nobody in their right mind believes there's anybody with solutions to all the problems. But the ability to deal with the problems. And so when we invite people, that's what we need to invite them to see It's how it's happened in my life, how God changed me. And it's the most amazing thing. You don't have to close the deal. You'd be surprised how many people, if you say that, they'd say, man, I wish I could have something like that. And now you're going to say, well, you can. It's free. Well, how do I get it? Well, we pray. We ask the Lord to give it to you. You you surrender everything to him and he'll give it to you. And And I'll pray with you if you want if that's helpful. And that's all that there is. It's just an invitation to come and see why this is important to me. And and that can be so many different ways in so many different places. I mean, it can be so simple as come and see how I do my daily you know, time with God. It can be come and see why my church is so important to me. It can be come and see, but it's just an invitation. And there's one important element that I don't want you to leave out. And that's that they are always free to decline. And not only free to decline, it needs to feel to them like they are free to decline. Because God doesn't really want people to come to him because somebody bound and gagged them and drugged them in. Believe it or not. He wants them to come so that they can abide. Because the truth is, if you bind and gag somebody and drag them in and make them feel guilty if they don't or or afraid if they don't. What happens the moment they get a chance to leave? I would. I mean, what we want is for them to know a living Lord. That's the gospel. That's evangelism. It's simply saying, look, and saying, who are you? Tell me about yourself. What are your hopes and dreams? Let me show you how that has worked in my life, and then being present so that they can stay. And in that, what we found was a small movement of Jesus getting dunked in the River Jordan and wandering off into the wilderness became a small movement, a big movement, a worldwide religion, all because somebody said, come and see. You have been listening to Come and See by Father Ron Baird. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to Come and See.